are listening to a message by Refuge Community Church. Refuge exists to glorify God by making disciples that shape their communities with the love of Jesus. Good morning, first off. Uh, again, I always got to start like that or else I'm very uncomfortable moving forward. And so good morning. That's what I'm talking about. All right. So, hey, if you don't know me, I think I got a chance to meet everybody online. You know, my name is Josh. I serve as the lead pastor uh, here at Refuge. And I got to say, last week was my first week uh, where I was not here at all, right? I mean at all. Now, there was one other week where I was at home with COVID and I couldn't be here. But that week, I was, like, on my phone. I was texting Sean, like, hey, how's everything going, bro? Like, hey, man, do you need anything? I was, like, checking on different people. Last week, I was at a whole different church, like, helping preach for a buddy that needed someone to slot in there. And I didn't get a chance to check on y'all, right, to really, like, text. And so it is, like, it was weird to not be here, I got to say. And let me say, I missed y'all, like, a lot. Like, there's people not here that I missed, and I got to wait another week to see them. But then there's, like, you right here. I miss you. So I missed you, all right? That's all I got to say about that. And I'm excited to be back. I'm happy to be back. Uh, I'm happy to just, you know, rejoin with the family, all right? And so uh, with that, as I'm back today, we're going to head into our time in the Word. And and here's what this is. We believe that this time is a time where we open the Scriptures, right? We we open them, we read the words of Scripture, and, and we believe fundamentally that God meets us here as we read these words. Right, that we put these words on the screen, we read Ecclesiastes 1, we have all these moments and we think like, oh, that was interesting, and and all that's great. And maybe through the course of the sermon, you learn something about God, but more than that, we believe that in your blue chair right now, right in this elementary school, even with the intimate group we have today, that God would meet us right here and through these words begin to shape and transform your life. That's what we believe we're about to head into. And so I say that, and you hear me say it every week, and you're probably like, bro, I could probably verbatim quote you on what you say about this. But I say it every week to help you, remind you, right, to help remind you in these next few minutes, don't lean away. Don't shell up. Don't think, okay, this is the sermon. We're going to sit back. Rather, like, press in, right? Press in. Be invested. Be expectant. Ask God, what are you going to teach me today? How are you going to shape me? Because we believe that when you walk out of here, the Lord will have done something in your life, right? And we're prayerful and hopeful that the Lord will have done something in your life that resonates through the rest of your life to everyone else in your life. And you know what, you know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Okay, so with that being said, y'all probably like, man, this dude says this every week, and I'm going to keep saying it every week. All right, so Today, what we're going to do is we're going to start a new sermon series in the book of Ecclesiastes. Everybody say Ecclesiastes. All right. That was pretty good. Ecclesiastes, that weird book, right, that seems to be the opposite of everything we really think about Christianity and God and, and following Jesus and life following Jesus. It's a book that... I think often kind of gets put on the back burner, if I'm being honest, like for for us as Bible readers, if you're reading the Bible, right, it gets put on a back burner because it's oftentimes like so uniquely different than every other book in the Bible. Ecclesiastes is like those Psalms that ask God to hurt other people. 
right? Where God's like, I want you, where, where the psalmist, right? The person writing the psalm is like, God, I want you to destroy them. And it's like, fam, that's really strong. And, and it's like one of them weird psalms that you don't ever, when you hear psalms get preached in the summer, you don't ever hear them bad boys. That's what I'm saying, all right? You wouldn't even know there were psalms that existed like that until I said it right now, right? So it gets put on the back burner like some of those psalms because we don't really know what to do with it, right? We, we just avoid them because we don't understand them. And because we don't understand them, they kind of freak us out. Do you know what I'm saying? Am I the only one that feels like this? No. How many of y'all have felt like that a time or two when you've opened the Bible before? All right, yeah, there we go, right? Now, here's the thing, kind of on the opposite end of Ecclesiastes, one thing I, I would probably mention to y'all that y'all would all be like, oh yeah, I know about that, uh, is, is growing up, I'll never forget really how important it always seemed the Proverbs were though, right? Like there was Ecclesiastes and there were Proverbs and they seemed like kind of relatives, like, like cousins, that were just cut from the exact opposite cloth, right? And, and, and yet, I remember growing up and hearing how important Proverbs were, how they gave us wisdom to live our life uh, in a way that's godly and in a way that, that honestly, like, like, rears up godly people to give us wisdom and teach us how to live and really, in some ways, encouraged and almost invited us to, to believe that God's ways are the best ways. Yet, when we look at the book of Ecclesiastes, as I mentioned a second ago, it's often like the opposite that happens, right? It interacts with the, the book of Proverbs in that it tells us, yes, there is wisdom, but those Proverbs over there in the book of Proverbs, you have to remember, they're Proverbs and they're not promises, right? They're, they're Proverbs, but they're not promises, those are what happens in a world that is not broken. And in a world that's not broken, you could do all these things exactly how the book of Proverbs says to do them. And the exact right outcome would be that everything is beautiful. And where goodness in every way gets its right reward. And that's the ideal way of life for you to live in a world where everything else is right and everything else is beautiful. But here's the thing, that doesn't happen. That doesn't always happen. Sometimes the opposite happens, and you do everything right, and things still go wrong, and you're still left wanting, and you're still left hurting, and you're still left lacking. I've heard it said that if Proverbs is how you raise a child in a godly way, Ecclesiastes is how you prepare adults for a godly life. Because Ecclesiastes is what we as adults look at when we go and actually live our lives. That's what, we, that's what we experience. So a bit more about the book of Ecclesiastes. Y'all probably like, Zeus been talking about Ecclesiastes for a, for a bit now. I'm going to keep talking about it, to be honest with you, for just a couple more minutes. Well, Ecclesiastes is really a sermon, hear me, or a speech that's given by one called Kohelet. Kohelet. In your Bibles, it may be translated preacher. It may be translated teacher. It's really a weird word that kind of almost means like gather, somebody that's bringing people together. Uh, the name almost paints this picture of one that's bringing uh, an assembly or a gathering of people together so that he can teach or so that he can preach like a sermon. Um, and in this sermon that, that Kohelet, the gatherer, the preacher, the teacher, is assembling people uh, to deliver, he utilizes a type of literature, a, a way of speaking called wisdom literature. Can someone say wisdom literature? 
Y'all are on a roll today, all right? That was, that was, it's tapering off a little bit. I ain't gonna lie to you. Wisdom literature was a little less good than the last one, but wisdom literature. And, and this literature was a type of almost poetic, abstract communication style um, to share with us, hear me, to share with us who we are and who we should be or who we were made to be, what life is and what life was meant to be, right? The way the world is right now but also the way the world was meant to be. And Kohelet, the author here, he explores all of these different arenas with this wisdom. He explores how there are exceptions to these rules of wisdom that we find in Proverbs and and how we as humans often find ourselves working away and what he describes as toiling in life, searching for meaning, searching for purpose, searching for something more and struggling to find it. I love this quote by a man named Leland Riken, a now passed away theologian and professor. He once said, the most contemporary book in the Bible, Ecclesiastes is a satiric attack on an acquisitive, hedonistic, and materialistic society. It exposes the mad quest to find satisfaction in knowledge, wealth, pleasure, work, fame, and sex. Sounds like a gnarly book already. Okay, but, but here's the thing. Through drawing our eyes to the heartbreaking condition of this world, right, to, to the misguidedness of, of our hearts, to the limited nature of our lives, Kohelet, the teacher, invites us also to look beyond what's in front of us, to look beyond the limited nature of our life, to beyond the misguidedness of our hearts, beyond, right, the brokenness of our world, not by escaping it, but listen to me, not by escaping it, but rather by seeing how these very things, how the disappointment, how the frustration, how the insecurity, how your doubt, your frustration, your anger, right, right, all those things that they, they don't actually speak against God, but rather he invites us to see how they speak of God and how they point us to God how they point us to God's goodness, his plan for our lives, and his love for us. This is the type of wisdom that really like is the fountain uh, that that a writer like C.S. Lewis drank from when he wrote words like this. My argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. Right? This is the type of wisdom that drips from the book of Ecclesiastes. Over the next several weeks here together, we're going to explore Kohelet's sermon. Right, This beautiful, uh, tricky, sometimes like discouraging and almost a little bit frustrating right, type of sermon that leaves you scratching your head and leaves you looking at yourself, your life, your mind, your heart, and being like, man, I don't know what's going on but I think there might be something more. And I'm praying, I'm praying that through this, we'll find a wisdom, really a faith, that's going to anchor our hearts in the midst of difficult moments and beautiful moments. And that in the midst of that, right, that anchor will also point us back to the beauty of Jesus, the love and mercy of God, right, throughout every season of our lives. And so that's what we're going to be doing for the next several weeks. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes. And trust me, as much as you may be unenthusiastic about my introduction, I'm telling you, the actual words of the book, I think are going to be powerful for us. 
And I'm personally extremely excited about spending the next few weeks in this book. And so today, uh, what we're going to do is we are going to go ahead and start with the first 11 verses of chapter 1. And we're going to semi-breeze through them, but, but we're going to tackle some real important thesis points that, that the teacher, Kohelet, is going to lay out for us. Right? Almost like the, the foundation of everything else he's going to be talking about, he lays out in just these first few verses. And, and what I want you to take away from today is, is this. Can you put that slide up there? I don't think I put it down in here. Um, God invites us to find him in the midst of brokenness. That's all I want you to know today. That God invites us to find him in the midst of brokenness. How many of us oftentimes think that that's where we find God? All right, we got like three. Because it really is. Right, and, and, and I think as we work through this, we're going to find that, man, not only is the invitation to know and find God found in brokenness, oftentimes the mutilated ideas we have of mountaintops are where we tend to, to be the least successful in finding him. And so let's go ahead and dive in here. We're going to start with just the, the first two verses of chapter one, and they, they start like this. I would love for y'all to read this with me because I've just been really enjoying when we do that together. And so they're going to be on the screen, and I want you to read them with me. Um, Ecclesiastes 1, 1 through 2, the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem, absolute futility, says the teacher, absolute futility, everything is futility. Now, automatically, you're looking at this and you're like, dang, right? This guy went full on depressed Shakespeare in the first line here, right? Right off the bat. And but it's important. The, the lines here introduce us to a concept, a word that is going to shape the rest of our thoughts through the entirety of this series. And, and so Kohelet doesn't start here because he just wants to depress you, right? The, the teacher, Kohelet, starts here because he wants to introduce you to an idea, an idea that's going to be present through the remainder of his letter, the remainder of his sermon. And this word is futility, right? The, the Hebrew word is, how many of us know the Hebrew word? Oh, Hevel. Yeah, that's right. Nice. Hevel. It's, it's like H-E-B-E-L, but it's like Hevel, uh, like H-E-V-E-L. And the literal meaning of this word is like a smoke or a vapor, something that appears solid, yet when we try and grab it, it really slips through our hands and has no real substance. It's kind of like if you can imagine with me like a cloud. How many of us have been on an airplane? I didn't have my first airplane ride till I was like, how old was I, Rachel? Uh, like 26, 27? Right? I was a full-on grown man when I took my first airplane ride. And so I didn't have that beautiful like experience where a kid gets on an airplane and the airplane is going straight for a cloud. And in the kid's mind, alarms should be going off, right? Because it's like, dude, we're going to run straight into that cloud. And then you get to the cloud and you just like, peacefully go through it, right? I didn't have that same experience. But, but that's really the type of idea that, that the teacher wants us to understand. This idea of Hevel being like what appears to be sound structurally, but when you get there, it, there's really nothing to it, right? It kind of just, just passed through it. And this is going to be a word that I said shapes the rest of the letter. He's going to use it 38 times through the rest of this short book. And so this is an idea that the teacher is going to want us to be very comfortable with, right? 
Kohelet's going to look at us and say, get comfortable with this word hevel, because we're going to be revisiting this a lot. And specifically in in our context for these first 11 verses, hevel is going to be important for two reasons. The first is that with this word, he points us to the wild truth that God's creation, right, this beautiful creation, this creation that in Genesis God makes, looks at it and is like, man, that is good. In fact, I'm going to take a vacation. That was so good, right? Like, this thing that's so beautiful, now, no matter how hard we try, seems to just be heaven. No matter how much money we have, no matter how much food we eat, no matter how much fun we have, no matter what we do, the reality that all of us face after all of those experiences is death. Shocker, right? Like, I feel like if I'm ruining the end of the movie for you, I'm sorry. Someone had to, and I'd rather it be me than death itself. And so, yeah, like automatic is introducing us to this very scary reality, right? That, that maybe, or maybe let's try it like this, right? Or, or maybe that it's no matter how much we've planned, all the hours we've worked, all the time we spent to achieve our goals and our dreams. And in the end, these goals and dreams don't give us what we wanted them to give us, what we thought they were going to give us. Right, and we still find ourselves wanting at the end of it. Right? This is the type of hevel that that Kohelet, the teacher, wants to invite us to know. Right? Let, let's put it in very practical words. I, I wanna I wanna invite you on a on a little practical journey through the neighborhood called Hevel. Okay, let's say maybe you're a young person, a millennial that's walking or, or maybe even driving if you got a car through the neighborhood of Hevel and you went to school and you uh, worked really hard, right? You worked, you worked hard from middle school on through high school. You went to the college that you wanted. You got into the program that you wanted and you took out loans and you took out, you went, you worked 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 hours a week in order to get through school. You gave it your all, right? So what is it, summa cum laude? I graduated, thank you, my lottie, but, but maybe you graduated summa cum laude. And, and all of a sudden, you think you're doing great, but you get out of school and you realize that you have a mountain of debt and you can't afford a house. And everywhere that's trying to hire you says you need three years of experience to get an entry-level position to which that makes no sense to you. But you look at your life and you realize and have this overwhelming feeling like I've just wasted the past 12 years of my life heavily. Hevel. Maybe you raised a child and you raised that child the right way. All right. I, I, I've, heard, uh, I've heard it said Jack or Jill or whatever the case is, but, but you raised your baby. You took them to church. You taught them the gospel. I, I give this little like, like a, what is it called? A, a confessional type of thing, a catechism to my daughter every night. And I like to think that even at, th- at five years old about like Leah can riddle off the gospel and Pretty, in a pretty impressive way, if I may say so myself, right? And you, you raise your child, you read them every book, and you read every book about what actually raising a child should be like. You spend, you spend years trying to instill different wisdom through sports and academics and family, but now as they get older, they've grown distant from you. They don't want to hang out with you as much. They're starting to make poor decisions. In fact, you're starting to realize that they're tapering away from the faith, don't want anything to do with you or your God or your church and you look back and think what did I do all that work for and where has all that work gone Hevel 
Maybe you worked hard for many years, right? Maybe you saved and invested your money wisely. You made uh, great financial plans. You had it all figured out. And now we look at the world as it stands and it seems like we might go into a recession and the stocks are low and your future seems unclear. Hevel. Maybe you followed God faithfully. You gave your life to him. You served him every day from when, before you can remember, you were one of them people that were like, I got saved at three. I don't know how, y'all stories are amazing. Not my story, but y'all story are amazing. And you, all you can remember is days when you actually gave your life to God. And you thought if you did that, everything you did would be blessed and everything you did would be okay. And life would work out great. But you find yourself in various circumstances that leave you wanting, disappointed, dissatisfied, angry, hurting and questioning God why did you give me this when I gave you so much Hevel hear me friend I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer right but these are the realities in our world that and the thing is the realities that oftentimes seem like they shouldn't be it seems like if you do all the things that I listed off first that Hevel shouldn't come Right, that disappointment shouldn't come. It seems like if I did everything right, how come this is happening? Moments where we've done what we're supposed to do, yet things don't go as they should have, and the broken world that we live in doesn't live up to its end of the bargain. Maybe we lived up to ours, but the broken world we live in doesn't live up to its end of the bargain. And we're left with this dissatisfaction. That's the hevel that Kohelet wants us to grow accustomed with, that wants us to get familiar with. And so verses 1 through 11, really, they just keep talking about this. Don't worry, I'm not going to keep talking about this. But verses 1 through 11 keep talking about this. They, they talk about how the, the winds keep blowing and the rivers keep flowing and, and it's all hevel. It never changes. And, and he even says, generations come and generations go. That's in verse 3. And then he says something damaging once you put it together with verse 3, that generations come and generations go. In verse 11, he says, there is no remembrance of those who came before and those who will come and of those who will come after they will also be there will also be no remembrance by those who follow them right this frightening thought that after all your work after all your efforts after all everything you've given right your kids will probably remember you your grandkids will probably remember you your great grandkids if you are just lucky they're going to be like oh yeah Josh good guy and then after that no one's going to remember you Gosh. And at this point, after me delivering about 12 minutes of straight hevel, you might be like, this ain't my type of Sunday here, brother. This is what we got coming to us for the rest of Ecclesiastes. This ain't quite my Sunday. But, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Um, you, you, may, you may be out here like, man, I need a bone at this point. Throw me some type of bone, some type of lifeline to get us out of this. And, and I think that there is that here. I want you to remember that I said hevel is important for two reasons. And then I just went in on the first one about how it shows us the condition of our world, the condition of our lives. But, but hevel is also important for a second reason here. And the second reason is that language is important. What do I mean by that? This is what I mean. When someone looks at you and says something to the effect of there's no objective truth, they appeal to the fact that that is objectively true. Does that make sense? Let me give you another one, right? When someone says, we can't know anything for sure, 
they assume that you can know that assuredly. Surely I can know that there's nothing we know for sure. And, and I'm giving you these examples because when Kohelet says everything is meaningless, he makes a statement that is jam-packed with meaning. The moment he says everything is meaningless, he makes a statement that is overflowing with meaning for our lives. And that automatically, if you're the reader looking at his words, should begin to elicit this type of response that goes, man, that seems like such a powerful statement about how powerless, like how powerless everything is. And it should start evoking that question of like, well, what is everything? What exactly is Kohelet, this teacher, talking about? And in verse 3, Kohelet starts to give us the answer. In verse 3, Kohelet says this, What does a person gain for all his efforts that he labors at under the sun? Do you see that? Did you see? Where is it that, that, that people labor? Can you leave the verse up? What does a person gain for all his efforts that he labors at under the sun? Where is the person laboring? All right. I'm not going to lie. I don't know if it's this thing or if y'all are, y'all are tapering off on the feedback here. But under the sun. Under the sun. And, and so automatically, we're invited to start to frame this idea of worthlessness, of meaninglessness, not everywhere, but right here. Under the sun. Under the sun. No, it's not that everything is meaningless. It's not that everything is pointless. It's not that everything in everywhere at all times in the natural and the supernatural, what we see and what we can't see is all meaningless. It's that everything under the sun is oftentimes brought to being meaningless at the end of our days. Everything that can be found, everything that we can see. Kohelet doesn't want us to despair. He wants to show us the meaninglessness of everything that's under the sun, everything that's really a part of our material world. So, so that we can look beyond the sun for something, right? Here's the thing. He doesn't tell us, hey, this is meaningless so that you can look at it and be like, stupid iPhone, right? He wants to say, hey, there's something more than what you see. There's something more than what you taste. There's something more even than what you feel. And hear me, friends, look, I want you to look at me for a second. This is a critical message for a lot of us in here, myself included, because at times our view of everything that can satisfy us, everything that can bring us peace, everything that can make us whole, everything that can make us feel better, everything that can make us happy, we oftentimes begin to frame that only in what we can see. We begin to think, if only I had a new house, if only I had a new career, people sometimes mess up their whole lives by saying, if only I had a different spouse or a different husband or a different wife, people throw their whole lives away thinking that what I can see will satisfy me. If I only had this, that, or the other, or the third, all of a sudden that would make me happy. That would make me right. That would make my life whole. And Kohelet here is looking at us and saying, there's nothing in this world that brings what you hope that it brings. In fact, at the end of the day, it's all heaven. It all seems like a a vapor that you thought you would grab, that you thought you would, would bring you life. But in reality, you try to snatch it. And the only thing you get is more of your own fist. That's all you get. We get caught up in this rut of not looking, kind of in, in using Kohelet's words, not looking beyond the sun. 
right? We, we begin to look at this world and our career and our home and our health and our bodies and our family image and our legacy and romance and everything else under the sun and, and, and everything but God and following God, but God and knowing God. We turn to, to look and lean on and rely on everything but knowing, treasuring, loving, and being loved by God. And the result is that it leaves us feeling like our lives are in a rut, friend. Like you can't find meaning, purpose, right? Like, like, like actual satisfaction in this world because all of a sudden you're spinning around and around. And the moment you have an iPhone 11, the iPhone 13 would make your, your cell phone usage that much better. And it's the exact same phone. I don't know. If, let, me, let me be honest with y'all. Let me be honest with y'all. We moved into our house nine months ago, right? About that, eight months ago, something like that. We sold our last house and we had some leftover money. And so I started buying furniture because your boy needed to put furniture in his house. We bought, uh, we, we bought a little console for our living room. And then I started thinking to myself like, man, what kind of speaker would go good with this? We have an Apple TV. So I bought one of them old school HomePods. They don't even make them anymore. So that the HomePod could connect to the Apple TV and that would create a really good sound, right? Better than just the speaker TVs. Okay, we've had that for eight months now or whatever. And it sounds great. Sounds amazing. Four weeks ago, my boy Jerry right here, right? Hits us up and was like, hey, we want for my birthday, I want to do a Lord of the Rings marathon. Uh, but we need somewhere to host it. Can we host it at one of y'all's house? And I was like, I, I, I can do it. The first thing my mind thought of was, I need a new speaker. Why? I couldn't tell you. I don't know. And so I went out that day and I was like, oh, I'm going to find me a speaker. I, I found the cheapest. Do y'all know the company Sonos? Sonos, right? They make good, good speaker systems. They have a cheap uh, sound bar, and I got it, and I was like, all right, we're going to take this. I set it up in my living room. I tested it out. My first thought was, man, that doesn't sound quite that good. But I was like, but it's new, and I wanted it to matter. I wanted it to feel good. So we used it all through that day, and, and it, man, it felt good. It struck my ego a few times because Daniel Cooper, he's out today. He, he came up to me and was like, man, you got a banging sound system here, and I was like, my man, that made me feel amazing, Right? Four days ago, four days ago, I packed up that soundbar and I returned it. And when I sat in my living room, when I got back home and I turned the volume up, I asked myself a simple question. Why did you buy that? And can I be honest with you? I didn't know the answer. I would like to think that it was because I wanted my friends to have a better experience, but it wasn't. I would like to think it's because I'm some type of audiophile that can tell the difference between that soundbar and that speaker and that speaker, but I'm not. I would like to think that it's because I somehow wanted to create a better aesthetic for my living room, but I don't. My living room looks great with whatever speaker looks there. I've been diligent to decorate that place. The answer to the question was heaven. The answer to the question was everything under the sun that I pursue and think is going to bring me life. And it never does. 
This is the type of rut. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. I want to be honest with you. Like three days later, I was back on Amazon looking for something else. And it's, it's maybe funny, right? Because it's a practical, very real thing. But what we oftentimes don't realize is so many times we're scrolling through that social media feed, through that Amazon list, scrolling through Best Buy, looking at news And we think that we're looking for an electronic. We think that we're looking for a new post. We think that we're doing research. And in reality, our soul is thirsty. And we think that the scroll will answer the need. And it never does. You end up returning whatever you got right back to where it came from. Asking yourself the question, why did I do that? That's the hevel that the teacher wants us to see in our lives. It's that very thing, that that never silenced need and cry, right? That we go and try to try to try to find somewhere and yet never do. And so what do we do? How do we get out of this rut? How do I get out of the infinite Amazon scroll that I find myself in seemingly every other day? And maybe you find yourself in a similar scroll. Well, we find our answer, unsurprisingly, to some of us in the words of Jesus. In Luke, 9, in Luke 9, and in a couple other Gospels, Jesus speaking to an audience who 100% chance they would have been familiar with the words of Kohelet. This is a Jewish audience. This is a Jewish book. They 100% chance they would have read this in their life. Speaking to this audience, Jesus says this. Then he said to them all, if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will save it. For what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world, yet loses or forfeits himself, his soul? What does it benefit someone to gain? That's the whole question that Kohelet is asking us in in this first chapter, really. What do you gain from the toil of your hand? What do you gain from what you pursue? What do you gain from the things that you love? What do you gain? What What does it gain a person to have it all and lose himself? And this is where the most confusing thing happens in Jesus' words here. And if we could leave, there we go. Leave this up here because actually go to the one right before this, Anisha. Because this is, where Je- this is where Jesus shows us Hevel at work. Because what good does it do for us to gain the world? What good does it do for us to try and save our own life, as he puts it? Right? What- look at his words. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. What does that look like? What does that look like? Man, friends, it looks like the exact thing we just said. It looks like scrolling to find meaning. It looks like pursuing a career to find fulfillment. It looks like making your whole world a single person. It looks like bringing everything that you desire and trying to find a material way to save yourself. It means coming to church and volunteering so that you can prove how worthy you are and how good you are. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, all of that that you've done, if you keep trying to save your life, it will be in that exact place that you lose it. 
It doesn't matter if you become the richest person in the world. It doesn't matter if you biofreeze your body and you live 190 years. It doesn't matter if you have the best job, the best wife, the best husband, the best kids. At the end of the day, if you pursue that thing and that is all you seek to satisfy what's deep inside of you, you will lose it. It will be gone. But it's in this beautiful upside down statement that Jesus invites us to hope in himself. That Jesus takes the, the, the brokenness that we experience in a broken world and says, now use that as a signpost to point you to me. Because whoever loses his life for my sake will what? Will gain it. Whoever loses his life because of me, he will save his life. He will have his life. Whoever picks up their cross and depends on me, that depends on what I've done, that seeks the life that I've lived, that, that, that seeks the compassion and the purpose that I give them, that understands that I am God, the one who's come from God and who is himself God, who created and knows you, who counts every hair on your head and knows the depths of your soul, who knows the very words that will come out of your mouth before you say them. If you find what you're looking for in me, that is exactly where you will find your life. But everywhere else you seek it, you will lose it. Friends, some of us in this room right now, some of us watching online, right? You're hearing me say these things, and maybe you're like, man, this is rough. Or maybe you're like, man, this dude lost me about like nine minutes ago. But some of you, some of you are listening to my words, and you're saying, man, I've been doing this my whole life. I've sought the affirmation of others. I've given myself to trying to be good. I've tried to be the best Christian. I've tried to be the best daughter. I've tried to be the best student. I've tried to be great at my job. I've tried to to be the best and to pursue all these things. I've tried to leave a legacy. And at the end of the day, I felt the cycle of not being able to find fulfillment in any of them. And I'm starting to maybe realize that where I've lost track is that I didn't find God or see God or even seek God in any of them. And hear me, friend. I want you to look at me this time. Look at me. If that's you, can I, can I be honest with you? Man, my friend, that is exactly, exactly where God wants you to be. Not because he wants to discourage you, but because it's exactly there where he finally has the space to say, now, now put your hand, put your life right here in my hand. Put all the pointlessness, all the meaninglessness, all the disappointments, all the discouragements, put them right here. And in this hand, I'm going to shape and form meaning and purpose where you could not find it. In me, I'll find it for you. And so the king of kings, who himself is beyond the sun, who comes from God, the creator of all, enters into the story of the world. And he participates in the same things we do. He 
He has to work. He was a carpenter, maybe a stonemason. He has relationships with people. He has 12 disciples that he's, he's like, those are his, his, his crew, right? Then he has three that are like his best homies. He, he goes into the world and he participates in a, in, a, in a mission, in a purpose of expanding God's kingdom. His life is filled with purpose because in each moment of his day, he connects that part of his world back to his heavenly father. And he connects and sees the greater meaning of each moment. Yet that man who's filled with purpose takes the cross like a meaningless man so that the people who've connected ourselves to meaningless just in his hand can find purpose. Just in his hand can find meaning. Just in his hand can find life. Can be connected back to the God whose whose desire is not not to send you out to live a life that lacks meaning, but to send you out to live a life that's full of purpose, friend. That's full of meaning. It's full of meaning because it connects you to the one who provides meaning that every part of your life would be connected back to this beautiful, loving, caring God who sees you right where you are, who knows you right where you are, who's seen the disappointments and knows the discouragements, but has said, heaven will not reign victorious in your life. I will. Today is not hopeless, friend. Your life is not hopeless, lost to meaning. Friends, the meaningless things, even the disappointments or discouragements in your life, friend, they have meant, they have meant to be a signpost that points you back to the one who provides meaning, purpose, that brings life, that brings the affirmation we desire, that pardons and forgives the sin that brings us shame, right? This, this God uses even the brokenness to invite us to know him. Right? The invitation to know God is found in that brokenness precisely. Where Jesus now reigns victorious and invites us to know him and to know life with him. Friend, hear, hear me. This is, this is what we're going to kind of conclude today. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, what do you do with these words? I, I want you to, to continuously examine your life for the heaven. Examine your life for, for those moments where you can tell your heart is scrolling for meaning where there's none to be found. A sono speaker couldn't give me what I longed for. And returning it to, to Best Buy and looking at the guy and be like, oh yeah, I just wasn't satisfied with it. I, I talked to that man and I knew I was lying because there was nothing I was dissatisfied with in that speaker. I was dissatisfied with something here, not in the speaker. Friends, continuously examine your life for that thing. Examine where is it that I'm, I'm finding, trying hard to find life where it can't be found. And for those that aren't a follower of Jesus, right? Those that wouldn't say, hey, I've already found my life in this God. Right? Maybe you're looking at me and you're going, man, I've, I don't know. I think I found life and goodness and may, maybe you can't relate to this. But if you can, if you can hear me, The invitation isn't limited to those of us that would call ourselves followers of Jesus. You're not too far from God to come to him. In fact, the weight of God's love brought God to you. He didn't invite you to come to him. The person of Jesus enters into the brokenness of our world and lives the life we should have lived and takes the cross to die our death and then resurrects in order to say, now come to me, all those who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Right? All those who have, 
who have, whose knees are heavy and whose backs are weary from pursuing heaven. Come to me and I will give you rest. Friend, accept that invitation today. You are, you are on the cusp of a moment that takes a life that was one at one time in a rut, struggling to find meaning and entering into a story that gives purpose to every step you take. Come to that Jesus. Regardless, friends, I'm hoping and praying that the next several weeks in this book will will begin to allow us to really follow the words that Kohelet wants us to see, right? To take our eyes and to look, take an honest look at ourselves in very vulnerable and powerful ways. And when we see ourselves correctly, to allow the correct view of ourselves and the brokenness that we're wrestling with to function as a signpost that begins to take our eyes that were once focused on Hevel and then were refocused on a broken us would then be taken upward to look at a beautiful, powerful, and glorious God who would shape everything in our lives and would guide us in every step until he leads us home to know the fullness of what it means to be loved and welcomed by him. That's my prayer for this series, and I hope that you are excited to join us as we set out today on this journey. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your words. Thank you that through the teacher, through Kohelet, we're given a, a difficult at times view of ourself, yet In this view of ourselves, we are also invited to allow that view to become a signpost that points us to the mercy, grace, glory, beauty, and goodness of our God. That you would not uh, be satisfied with us seeking heaven to bring life, but you who are life would enter into our world, would take on the pursuit of heaven yourself so that we who pursue meaninglessness, heaven would now be invited to know you in, in fullness and in purpose and in love. And so thank you for that truth, God. Let us respond to that truth in worship and in, 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 in appreciation and in love now as we enter into the rest of our service in, in song and in worship. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith.